This country, you gotta make the money. Then when you get the money, you get the power. Then when you get the power, then you get the woman. What radio? Kua! The music you want. With your host, Steve Dan. If I were the man I was five years ago, I'd take a flamethrower to this place! What's up, party people? It's Keys Dan with RadioWhat.com, DJLittleRock.com, coming at you live in a living color from the River Valley Drug Testing Facility in Russellville, Arkansas. And today on the program, we have the proprietor from the River Valley Drug Testing in Russellville, Arkansas. It's Denise Lorenz. Let's get to it. What's up, Denise Lorenz? You know, first of all, I want to apologize to you for being about, oh, 20 minutes late. I was on I-40 getting here from Conway to Russellville, and I was stuck behind a wide load. One of those big, giant uh, tanks. I, it's like a, a rectangular. It looks like a swimming pool. That you would sink into the ground and it would be perfect to be a, a swimming pool. So it's like some tank and it was taking up both lanes of the highway. And then there's construction on I 40 and it kind of closed off the right hand lane. So it had to shove this big, giant, wide load over into the left side. So we were all driving about seven miles an hour to get here. Apologies. Safety Step right up. Safety comes first, that's for sure. Step right up into the microphone. Dig into it. Okay, I am digging into it. Uh, <laughs> first off, hey, this is Denise Lorenz, uh, River Valley Drug Testing. Uh, this is all I know about her, pretty much. I know she likes cool old cars. That's a, a neat thing. I don't know where she's from. And this is what makes you famous which can be sounded out two ways. You know, what, which is Radio What, the, my station, making you more famous than you already are, or just you telling your story. What makes you famous? You know, what makes everybody want to know more about you? Well, I definitely want to know more about you because you're a nice lady. You're very nice. You're always smiley when I come in, and it's a, a wonderful thing to know you. And let's get to know more about you. First of all, where did you begin? Where are you from? Actually, I was born in Long Beach, California. California. What side? <laughs> I'm actually the daughter um, of Richard and Sharon Adams. I have two siblings. I have an older sister and I have a baby sister um, who's actually, we call her the baby sister because she's nine years younger than me. Um, I moved here to Arkansas at the ripe old age of 12 and we actually moved to Danville which we kind of felt like was um, a total culture shock. We went from California to Danville, and it was very, very difficult making that transition, especially at the ages that we were. What year was that? Um, gosh, let me see. Don't be um, quoting me on this because uh, 
now I'm at the ripe old age of 48, and mm. so I was 12 then. So, yeah. Oh, now I have to do math on I this podcast. 82. All right. 1982. 1982. 1982. We I was still living in Fort Lauderdale, I think, at the time, 1982. So, you're talking culture shock. Miami to Arkansas, just about the same kind of culture shock. Yeah definitely the same kind of culture shock but um we actually lived in southern california and my dad kind of felt like he had a great aunt and great uncle that lived in danville and we had come out one summer when i was about nine or ten and it was just a really safe place he felt like to raise girls and uh so he came home one day he worked for a trucking company out of california and they were actually going under and so he kind of felt like it was a good time to make a transition as far as moving us. Um, I one of 47 grandkids. My grandma. 47. 47. Yes, I have 47 first cousins, which is pretty awesome. Um, our family reunion, we actually have had two. And there was anybody, I think the oldest grandchild is uh, 51. And the youngest grandchild, I think now is probably about four, four or five. So major, major, big, large Catholic family, which was great. Well, that's a big family. And are most of them in California or Danville? Yeah, they actually have um, moved out to, um, some of them are in, in Arizona. Some of them are actually out in uh, Idaho, Jackson, Jackson Hole. They're there and they're just all, I still have several that are actually still in California, but they all kind of spread it out. Which was great. Um, and so we came here and my dad just decided that this was a really good place to raise girls. And he was right. Um, the best decision he ever made for all of us. We've had a great life here where I can't even imagine. I can't imagine us um, living there and, you know, being being raised there is it's kind of difficult. And here it's we've all had a really good life. So that's kind of like the the beginning of me. I um, moved to Dardanelle when I started the seventh grade, and that was a lot better because it seemed like it was just a little bit faster than Danville. Nothing wrong with Danville, but it just seemed like it was a better fit for us. And graduated from Dardanelle High School, and uh, so I was a cheerleader at Dardanelle, and one uh, of one of the things that I actually have always had a huge passion about was cars. Oh. Um, one of the things my dad had asked me at the ripe old age of 17 was, it was time for me to, I was working and I wanted to buy a car. And my dad had asked me point blank, what kind of car did you, do you want? And back then I didn't have much money. And so I was trying to be economical and I just, I didn't want something that everybody else drove. Um, and so I told my dad, I said, I want an antique car. And of course, that totally lit my dad up because he's a car guy too. And he actually was a truck driver and he found me a car in Searcy, Arkansas. Now, he was a truck driver. Did uh -huh. he drive a cool car too? No, Antique? you know, he drove a Volkswagen, actually, 1970 hey, Volkswagen. Nothing wrong yeah. with a VW. That's Not cool car. Not at all. Not at all. Um, yeah, my dad's a pretty cool dude. He's always um, enjoyed good cars and also enjoyed keeping them up. 
So that's that's a big thing. Always. And did he have you under the hood too? <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yes. Anytime that something needed to be done, I was I was the wrench passer, or if my hands were smaller than his, I was the one who did the job. What's the quiz? Uh, uh, where's the engine on a VW? Nineteen seventy. <laughs> it's actually in the back of the car. In the back. In the She's back. a winner. Yeah, <laughs> and he was a good guy because he. One of the things he always said, even you know, raising girls was. I want you to learn how to change a tire. If you're going to drive, you're going to change a tire because I don't ever want you to be stranded. And that was a great thing to do for your kids. I don't care how old they are, especially girls, learn how to change a tire. So that's what he did. In order for us to drive, we had to change a tire and also learn how to um, check your oil, change your oil, all that stuff. So I think I was actually supposed to be a mechanic in an, in another life because I, I I love it I do. So now, how many kids in your family again? There's two. There are actually there's three of us, three girls. Three three girls siblings. Three girls, yes. And he didn't have any boys. No. Nope. Traditionally, yeah. Okay, yeah. see where I'm going with this. I so, I get it. I was the middle child, so therefore, yep, I was I was definitely the tomboy of the three. So what, I'm not complaining a bit. I learned a lot. And uh, so my dad actually was looking for an antique car, and he found one in Searcy, Arkansas. And he came home. He was super excited, and he said, I found you a car. And I said, okay, great. I said, what is it? And he said, it's a 1950 Chevy two-door hardtop. Of course, back then, we didn't have the internet where you can just Google exactly what a 1950 Chevy two-door hardtop looked like. So I had no idea. This is in 80. Six, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Around Somewhere 86. around there? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, in 86, anything 1950 sounds cool to me. Exactly. Exactly. So I get a, um, I go and he said, you know, let's go down and actually see if you can get a loan because my dad was all about trying to get things, build your own credit, you know, get established. So we went down to the local bank and Mr. Roy Reeves, actually, he was bank president back then. And we went to him and told him that I needed a um, a loan for $1,500. 1500 1500 in 1986 in 1986 for a 1950, a 30-something-year-old yeah. car. Yeah, yeah. So I was okay, a little okay. skeptical, a little skeptical, wasn't sure. So we went, and uh, I, I was able to get the get the loan. My dad co-signed for me, of course. And uh, we decided in a nice, hot July evening that we were going to drive to Searcy and, and buy this car. Still had no idea what it looked like. So we go, and... Um, we get to Searcy and we pull on, on the road and my husband was actually my boyfriend back then. Right. Um, well, let, let's uh, back up. Searcy from Dardanelle, about yeah. a three, maybe about four two, hour job. Two and a half hour. Two and a half yeah, hour job. Yeah, around about two and a half hour job. Okay. So your boyfriend at the time, now yeah. your husband, but boyfriend yeah. at the time. Boyfriend at the time. We drove with my parents and we pulled down on the, the street and we saw it sitting in the driveway. And my husband looks at me, again, boyfriend back then, and he said, are you sure that's what you want? <laughs> I looked at him and I said, isn't it cool? I was in love from that moment on. First car. You never first forget your first car. car. Mine was a 1975 Comet, Mercury Comet. <laughs> and that was in 87 when I got my first car. Previous to that, I was riding motorcycles. 
and I got in a motorcycle wreck. So oh, you had to upgrade. <laughs> I had to definitely get some uh, wheels and doors and and uh, something or metal around me uh, with the motorcycle. No, no more motorbikes for me. <laughs> understand, understand. And you got this tank. Yes, nineteen fifty Chevy. Fifty. Yes, I did. What color? Um, it is mint green with black lacquer top. It has the Kelly green and gray interior. And the best part about it is that it's all original, even with the fender skirts. Wait, uh, original brakes? Original brakes. <laughs> you know, you can probably put your feet down like the Flintstones and, and that'd be better. 30-year-old <laughs> well, brakes. Yep, 30-year-old brakes. <laughs> but it's a good thing this old lady just only drove it to the grocery store on weekends. Is that the story? <laughs> well, the story is that. How many miles? <laughs> um, you know, not very many, to be honest. I am the original second owner of the vehicle. What? Yeah. It, uh, it came from Austin, Texas, and uh, her nephew had inherited the vehicle, and I actually bought it from her nephew, which was pretty awesome. So we drove it. My dad told me, um, I looked at the vehicle and realized it was a three-speed on the column. Did not know how to drive a three-speed on the column. So my dad told me, he said... Uh, now, describe what a three-speed on the column is. It is a standard, but instead of having the gear shifter in the floor, it is actually in the column. So, and the gear ratio is completely different than what it is, you know, in the floor. So, like on the steering wheel, like it, where you're oh, yeah. where your shifting knob would usually be on most cars. Yes, that is where your manual transmission is located. Yes. Okay, and you've never driven a manual transmission at this point. Well, actually, I had driven a stick on a Volkswagen 1970. Ah, yes, 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 that makes yes. sense. Um, but I had never driven a three-speed on the column. Three on the tree. Yep, three on the tree. And so my dad told me, he said, if you can't drive it, then you can't buy it. That is correct. <laughs> so we uh, drove over to um, a gas station because it was very late that evening. And I said, show me how to drive it, Dad. And he showed me how to drive it. And I said, I got this. Mm. And I drove it back from Cersei. And you drove it. Now, this and is reminding me, reminding me of a story uh, of mine. I told you I got in a motorcycle wreck in 87. And the settlement money, I went and I bought a Ford Mustang in 1988. Brand new. Uh, it's an 88 Mustang. It was probably towards. No, it was an 87 Mustang. And it was towards the, the end of 88 when I got it. It was in the middle of the showroom. And that was also a standard, and I wasn't very good at standard. I think I'd never drove a standard. I said, that's the car I want. I'm an 18-year-old kid. I got a bunch of money in my pocket. I want that car. It's a convertible Mustang Sebring GT, black, with, of course, convertible, ragtop. And I said, pull that around. I want it. I'll be back tomorrow to pick it up. I come back tomorrow to pick it up. Long story shorter. Two weeks later, there's no reverse on the <laughs> transmission, and they when I took it back to the the uh, the uh, student the dealer, they said this looks like abuse, but we're going to fix it. This looks like abuse, and it, it genuinely was because I did not know how to drive stick. Back to your story. <laughs> <laughs> well, I drove it back from Cersei, and. Uh I had it for several, several, several years. Um, I had so much joy. When I got back, I actually had a cheerleading um, competition. Actually, we were going to cheer camp. 
And my friends called, we had practice, and I said, well, they called me on the phone. Of course, we didn't have cell phones back then. Sure. And I said, I'm over at the local uh, tire place in Dardanelle getting new tires on it. And I said, well, just meet me over over there. And I was so excited I got my new car. And they pulled up, and they said, really, Denise? <laughs> this is what you bought? And I, lo- oh, I, I was so jazzed. And it, it didn't surprise them because they they know my personality and they enjoyed it. We had a lot of fun cruising around in that car and just enjoying life, you know, at that age. So I had the car from the time I was 17. And in that time, there was a boy who had ran a stop sign and I had hit him Ooh. and um, had some damage on the car. And I just, my husband... I had gotten married. What year was this? This was, um, gosh, I was probably 21 years ago. So it would have been what? I was 28, 27, 27. Maybe 93, Yeah, somewhere around 93, 94, somewhere in there. Well, my son was already born. Well, he was born in 90, it was 98. Hey, all right. We got the timeline. I sure do. 1998. And you got in a bit of a. A wreck. Yeah, I had it actually. Uh, the wreck had happened a few years before then. Okay. But in 1998, I could not stand to see that car going downhill. It was just breaking my heart. My dad was a truck driver, so he was never home. And my poor husband, he is great at everything, but he is not a mechanic. And he has told me over and over, I am not a mechanic. So I decided to take the car up on top of Mount Nebo, and I was going to sell it. And I was devastated. Hmm. And I had a gentleman who was from Hamilton, Alabama, and it was my 10-year class reunion, and I'll never forget it. And uh, he offered to buy my car. I had several people that wanted to buy it, but I just knew that there were dealers and that they were going to chop it or do different things, and I just couldn't sell it to him. Sure. So this gentleman came up to me, and he said, I, you know, I, I want to buy your car. And it took me two days to respond to him. And he finally called me, said, I'm going back to Alabama, but I really want your car. Uh-huh. And I, I prayed about it. And I thought, you know what? I, I've got to give this, you know, I need to do what's right for it. So I ended up selling it to him, but I made him make me three promises. One is if he ever showed it up at Petty Jean, that he would let me drive it. Oh, okay. Two, when he got it fixed up some more, that he would send me pictures. And three is if he ever decided to sell it, that he would call me first. Well, this gentleman back then, he was in his 60s, you know, late 60s. Sure. Well, 14 years later, I had a dream. Mm. And I had a dream that I got my car back. Mm. And I had woken up that day, and it was just very heavy on my heart. And uh, I told my husband, Mr. Holden had kept one of his promises. He sent me some pictures of it. He, okay. just, he wrote me a very sweet letter, and he sent me some pictures. And I told myself, you know, we had put it in a safe place, the letter, and my husband was going through some old papers, and we were burning some old tax stuff. And I said, Brent, when you go through those papers, look for that letter. Mm-hmm. And he found it. And we were driving up to Hot Springs one day, and I had a pad and a paper, and I just decided I'm writing him a letter. 
And mind you, he was in his late sixties. So this is fourteen years later. I didn't know if he sure. had passed or you know what his status was. Now you said he was living on top of Mount Nebo or Alabama. No, no, he was in Alabama, so he took it back to Alabama back already. To Alabama. Oh, okay. Yes, so it was in he was in Hamilton, Alabama. So I just on my way up there, I just wrote him this letter and um, I gave it to my husband to mail, and he mailed it on a Monday, and I'm sitting at work and my phone rings Hmm. and I looked down at my phone and it said Hamilton, Alabama. Oh, my heart went to my toes because I just didn't know. So I answered the phone and I knew instantly it was Mr. Holden. And we talked for a while and he said, now let's talk about a car. Hmm. And my toes just went, my stomach went to my toes and I said, let's talk about a car. And he said, do you want it back? And I said, uh, I, you know, just stuttered around. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, let me call you back. I need to go talk to my husband. So I went to, I called my husband and, and he didn't answer. So I just drove over there and, uh, he comes out and I'm crying. And he said, he said, what is wrong with you? And I said, Mr. Holden called me. He called me and he has my car. And I said, he asked me if I wanted it back. And Brent said, did you tell him yes? Uh And I said, I couldn't tell him anything. I told him I had to come talk to you. Right. Now it's a team, team thing. Sure. You know, because we, we bought the car originally together Mm, when when I was 17. And so, and so I went back to work and I called him up and I said, yes, I want my car. Yes. And he said, I said, we'll come and get it. He said, absolutely not. And he's in his, gosh, 14 years later, he's almost 80. Oh, yeah. He's almost 80. Oh, I could do that math. He's almost 80. And so he said, no. He said, we're going to bring it to you. Okay. And I said, okay. Now, mind you, this car is completely original. I have, when I had the car, I had the original bill of sale. I have the original owner's manual. I have every registration. I have every paperwork that's on this car. So when I sold the car to him, I sold the car and then I gave him all of the documentation. So this car is very rare in itself. For sure. Because it's all original. Plus, I have all of the original documentation. So um, he said, we're going to bring it to you. I said, okay. And I um, made arrangements for him for a hotel for him and his wife. And sure enough, he put it on a car holly, a car dolly, and he hauled it all the way, or put it on a trailer and hauled it all the way down here to me. Wow. Nice Mr. Holden. Mr. Holden is great. So when we pulled it off of the the um, ramp, his wife had made me this beautiful box, and inside the box was all of my paperwork oh. for, the, for the car. And when I sold the car, my son was 14. Or four. He was four, excuse me. He was four years old. So now he's 18. And his wife remembered exactly what my son was wearing on the day that I sold the car. And she remembered how heartbroken I was because I just cried. And she said, when he was pulling the car off of the, the trailer, I told her, I said, that's a woman's car. And she said, you know, a young lady 14 years ago told me that that was a woman's car. 
She said, I told my husband that, and he said, it may be a woman's car, but a man owns it now. (laughs) So she was awfully happy that I was able to um, have the car back, and and it's now a woman's car. So when we, he pulled it off of the trailer, and he was just such a gentleman, and we, he was trying to show me how to drive it. Of course, I just, you know, I went with it because I already knew how to drive it. Oh, yeah. Get get me into that. Get me behind that wheel. Oh, Oh, yeah. yeah. But there are some things that were so awesome because me and my mom used to carpool together. Mm-hmm. And I worked at, at Kmart, which is now closed. And it just. I worked at Kmart 1992 yeah, it, it, in Key Largo. I worked at it here in Russellville. And it just broke my heart when they closed. But we used to carpool together. And when I opened up the glove compartment of that car, my mom's name tag was still in the glove oh compartment. Oh, my. So the, in the trunk of this car, has the original spare. It's the original spare. Never, It's never hit the ground. It's still the original spare. It's still, scaring me yeah. that you have all these original pieces. You know, things wear out whether you use them or not. Yeah, it's still in there. Now, I don't know. I wouldn't trust it. but it's Probably not. But the original mat. But what was so awesome is that my license plate that I had on the car was still in the trunk. Come the on. No. And then... In the state of Alabama, if you have an antique vehicle, you do not have to register it in the state. Right. So when he handed me the title back to my car, it said my maiden name was Denise Adams. And oh. it still said Denise Adams on the title of my car. How great is that? It was like a time capsule. He was just know? giving you back your car. It was. He was giving me back my car and just giving me such a piece of me you know and and you don't really realize that because and and i know it's just a car but everybody has to have something that reminds you of your past and and happy moments and happy things and you know it just really gave me back some things that you know in the in the time that i owned it you know me and my dad we rebuilt the master cylinder in the car right and in the time that i had it we rebuilt the starter in the car okay I remember um, my grandmother, my Grammy, actually, she lived in California, and some of my best memories, I mean, I have so many endless memories, but as a teenager, you know, you you kind of do your own thing, but my grandmother loved to go cruising in that car, and I can just see her, you know, with the windows rolled down and the wind blowing in her hair, and my dad had made me all these old music. You know, I love fifties music still sure. to this day. So um, he actually installed uh, a radio, and we had to have a because it was on a six volt system back then. Right. So we had to have a converter and all those things just for my little radio to work. But um, I could just hear my grandmother just singing, you know, those songs and just some of the most neat experiences that. I can remember my little sister, she drove with me back and forth to school. And, you know, back then in that car, they don't have seatbelts. Okay, so yeah. she would be tired and she would lay her head on my lap and we would drive to school. And now she's she's pushing 40. Ah. <laughs> but it, it's really, really neat to be able to get something back like that. And, you know, I, I feel like, you know, people have dreams and they don't always come true. But I can honestly say that. I had a dream, and my dream came true. So, yeah. And that's, you know, I actually did a commercial for my company with my old car, and people are like, oh, I love your car, I love your car. But they don't know the story about the car because the car means so much to me. Right. And um, and they, they don't know the, the true story. And 
Well, hopefully they listen to this and they find out the story (laughs) behind the car. Now, what I'm thinking of is back when you had your cheerleading friends, is this car is big enough. You probably could have fit the whole squad in and gone out for milkshakes. Oh, we did. We did. Um, One funny story, you know, it was a really cloudy day one day and we are all, you know, late for school, of course, and everybody that day seemed to have left their lights on. And there's a picture of me in my car, and my car was the only car that would start that day during lunch. And oh. It was our senior year. So everybody piles into my car, and I got the biggest kick. And, of course, we all just laughed because all these they have all these really nice new cars, and mine's the old one, and it was the only one that was running that day. Right, <laughs> right. No electronics on this one. Yeah. And this is 80, well, if I, I graduated yeah. 86. So You're I graduated in 89. 89. So okay. Yeah. Seventh grade. Okay. I'm yeah. just trying to do do the math because you were from California to yeah. yeah. Okay. I get yeah. it. 1989. We're, yeah, we, 1989. We bit the same dirt, I guess, in, in those times. The yeah. 80s were great. The 80s were great. But the 50s music is wonderful as oh, well. Timeless. Timeless. For sure. You can still enjoy it till this day. So, but that that's actually, you know, my car story. Um, And it, so that's just a little bit, it's a little bit about me, but. Uh, one of the things that people always ask me, like you said, I work at River Valley Drug Testing. I actually own the company, and people are always asking me, how did you, what made you, why did you, what made you want to have a drug testing company? Let's get into it. <laughs> well, um, I actually worked as a regional human resource manager for 23 years. And you know how there's things, I traveled a lot um, with my old job, and my best friend's husband had cancer and he passed away at 47. Mm, and any time that there is a tragic thing, you really take a good look at your life and you realize that life is short. And I was barely home um, from January to April. I was home six days total. So it kind of, you know, made a huge impact on me and watching my best friend go through losing her husband Sure, made me think, okay, life is really short. And um, I had done drug testing, you know, of course, part of my job. And I dealt with a lot of different companies. Some were wonderful, some weren't so wonderful. And I just thought to myself, you know, this is something I think I could do. And a weird story, I had one of the general managers, and out of the blue, you know how things just happen, and I think God has his hand in everything, but this was a God thing. I was at one of my facilities in Texarkana, and one of the general managers there, or one of the managers, he handed me some information about a drug testing company. Hmm. And I thought, why in the world are you doing this? So... When my best friend, um, she was going to quit her job, and she said, I said, what are you going to do? And she said, I don't know. And I said, I think I know what we need to do. She said, what What do you think? And I said, I think we need to start a drug testing company. And she just looked at me like I had lost my mind. Mm-hmm. And I said, we, we really need to do some research. And so we started researching it. And I kept on saying to myself, you know, okay, God. If this is not what I need, if this is not what I should be doing, show me, give me some signs because I'm looking for that red light and I'm paying attention and my eyes are open and everything is, you know, I'm looking. And if this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing, then give me something. And, you know, there wasn't anything. There wasn't any red lights. There wasn't any, you know, don't do this. And, um, me and Sandra went on a trip 
and we we looked at a drug testing company and we came back and we got two separate rooms and she said we need to think about this she said i'm gonna stay in my room and you stay in your room and i'm gonna pray about it and you pray about it and and we're gonna look at all the pros and cons and we're gonna meet breakfast in the morning i said okay and we're actually in kentucky and i said okay sounds like a plan and we came back together that next morning and she looked at me and she said you want to do this I said, I want to do this. She said, we cannot, we don't want to look back on this a year or two from now and say, we should have done it. Right. Because there isn't anything more heartbreaking than saying, we should have done it and we didn't do it. And she said, I've I've done a lot of things that I hadn't, you know, I haven't followed through on some things that I've wanted to and neither had, had I. And we just decided that we're going to, we're going to try it. And if it fails, then it fails. If it strives, then it strives. Either way, we're going to give it all we've got and we're going to do our best to make it successful. And um, we both have a strong passion for people. And, you know, people say, aren't you worried about what you did? And I said, you know, I'm not. Because it's it's good and it's um, you know you get to see some awesome stories and you get to help people and you get to see these people get new jobs and you know it, it's it's very rewarding. Um, of course, you have your bad moments. Any job you do, sure. But enough. for the most, um, if I can, you know, make a difference in someone's life, hey, I'm I'm great. I mean, that's what we're that's what we're supposed to be here for. So yeah, most of the time when people come into this facility. For drug testing, you are helping them either get their jobs or keep their jobs. Exactly. And that's a wonderful thing, you know, and and you're a part of that. Exactly. That's a good thing. Exactly. And I and I love the faces, you know. I love I love to meet new people. Um I, I just I do. I enjoy it. And we do some drug testing for students and I absolutely love kids. You know, I I love going to the schools and, and testing kids and it's just it's very rewarding, and it's very. Um, I think I think it's a great preventive thing for students to you know to know that it's there and be educated and you know hopefully make right choices because that's what it's all about is you know being able to make good choices. Denise Lawrence, <laughs> California girl, now in Russellville, and uh, thank you for your story. I know more about you. I yeah. know about about your car and about your drug testing. All right, time for shameless plugs. Tell them how to find you. Thank you very much. Have a great day. That's it? You're not going to tell them how to find you? How to find me. Okay, I'm on 216 North Knoxville here in Russellville, Arkansas, 72801. We'll be happy to help you anytime you need. For drug testing. Yeah. Yes, give them the phone number. Okay, it is 479-435-7220. Now you can do the thank you. Have a nice day. (laughs) Thank you. Have a nice day. Thank you, Denise Lawrence. Well, that was very nice. I learned a lot more about the lovely Miss Denise Lawrence of River Valley Drug Testing in Russellville, Arkansas. You can find her once again at 216 North Knoxville in Russellville, Arkansas. Get all your drug testing done at the River Valley Drug Testing Center in Russellville, Arkansas. Well, that's it for this edition of What Makes You Famous. That was a great story. Man, that was nice. I never know where these things are going to turn out. And it's so much fun. Give me a call if you want to be a part of the program. Tell your story. What makes you famous? 
That's 501-470-6386 or email info at radiowhat.com. You could be a part of what makes you famous. Everyone has a story. And what is your story? I, I recently heard that in England, what's your story is a pretty bad thing. Usually it's only in context when the cop is asking you, what's your story? <laughs> and that's not the way it is over here in the United States, in the colonies, if you will. 501-470-6386, info at radiowhat.com. He's Dan, radiowhat.com, djlittlerock.com. What makes you famous? Peace. I'm out of here. Radio What, the music you want. Hey guys, this is Shelly G with a fast fact. Beethoven was the first composer who never had an official court position, thus the first known freelance musician. Born in 1770, he grew up poor but published his first work at age 12. By age 20, he was famous. He often sold the same score to six or seven different publishers simultaneously and demanded unreasonably large fees for the simplest work. He was short, stocky, dressed badly, didn't like to bathe, lived in squalor, used crude language, openly conducted affairs with married women, and had syphilis. Beethoven was deaf when he composed his Ninth Symphony. Do you have a fast fact? Share it with us at Interactive Radio, RadioWhat.com. Be on Radio What. Call 501-470-6386. Say your name, where you're from, and you're listening to What? The music you want is on RadioWhat.com. <laughs>